This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Some fascinating guests on today's show. As we talked about the future of shopping, where are you going to be spending your hard-earned money in the future? Also, the future of education. What is missing from schools currently to really future-proof our children? Talking industries and entrepreneurs, what should you be looking at if you're looking to start your own business? And the latest gadgets, Kevin Sebastian in studio with an exclusive unboxing of the brand new Samsung 23 and marking International Friendship Day. Why are building those blocks as a young child, that preschool age, so, so important for lifelong happiness? We are calling all young entrepreneurs this hour because in case you didn't know, the law changed recently, which means you can now start a business legally from the age of 18. Just goes to show just how behind the UAE is when it comes to pushing those entrepreneurs forward. So, so forward thinking, getting that 18 year old benchmark, just I think it's just incredible. So starting a business might look glamorous on the gram, but there are lots of highs and lows, successes and fails. So before starting one, well, we're bringing in the experts to give you some brilliant advice here. We've been there, seen it, done it. And yeah, wearing the t-shirt, Darius Sudi is with us. He is the founder of Arena and Be Unique. We're going to be hearing about some of the programs he does. But before, before we talk about that, Darius, I want to know a little bit about you. Have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit? First of all, thank you for having me. You're here. very welcome, sir. Yes, um, I never really fitted the school. I couldn't um, sit behind the desk for many hours. I didn't, for some reason, I couldn't turn up on time, sit there for an hour, leave on time. I didn't want to queue and be speak only when you're spoken to. I would just want to stand out. I want to be different. I want to be unique. And I was dyslexic. So people thought I was stupid. So when I left, I had this desire to be successful, but I knew I had limitations the way I was born, the way I was set, and also I was a refugee in, in, in the UK. So, so limitations in the sense of that expected path, I suppose. Absolutely. I just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in the system. And um, so I thought, what's the best way to get out of the system, yet earn as much money as I could? <laughs> Legally. Legally, absolutely. <laughs> and I got into sales. And um, I, within the first year, I, I left more jobs than I can remember. I got fired from more jobs than I can remember. But what I did gain was experience. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I want to be a leader of a company. And so started my uh, path to entrepreneurship. Which, which was what? What was your first step? Well, it's, the question is, what did I not get into? <laughs> so it was, at the time, it was computers. So um, believe it or not, I got into the uh, business of building personal computers before Dell Computers did. I was one of the biggest competitors in, uh, in the UK. And um, when Dell entered the market, you, uh, you could actually, for the first time, build your PC ordering it online. Mm-hmm. And my first comment was, this com- company will never make it. <laughs> <laughs> There's got so, to be a different way. Absolutely. So then I got into mobile phones. So there was an opportunity there. And I left mobile phones because I saw an article where it said 98% of the UK population is using mobile phones. And I thought, well, this, this market's dead. I never realized that people would change trends, their screens will change. Uh, yeah, upgrading. Internet, absolutely. Well, thank you, for, thank you for acknowledging that. Because as I said, a lot of people look at this entrepreneurship and think, 
oh, you know, you get to get to the heights and you get to, you know, you work for yourself and you've got all this independence. And I think it's really important to acknowledge missteps and I don't want to say failures, but yeah, I do mean failures. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot to be said for being honest about that and learning from that. And obviously you've been going on leaps and bounds and now inspiring other people to become entrepreneurs at a young age. Do you think that entrepreneurship is for anyone and everyone or does it, does it suit all personality types or not? I don't think it suits everyone because, unfortunately, most people are, I believe, are people pleasers. <laughs> You're looking at one. Hi, so what they nice try to, to do, they go out of their way. Mm-hmm. If you imagine you open a door for someone, they go through and if they don't say thank you, you get all frustrated mm-hmm. because we did that favor for them to say thank you in return. Mm-hmm. And when they don't live by the same parameters and, and values as you, you get upset. So as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't care whether they like it or not. You should just keep going forward. I've been in business over 40 years now and there's not one single day where I don't have something to celebrate and something to get disappointed about. To be an entrepreneur, it's a very lonely place. Mm. Uh, But then the results are higher. You can can help a lot more people. I mean, we have 130 people in our organization. That's probably about 500 individuals who rely on my ideas. Um, So you can affect a lot of people in a very positive way. What do you wish that you'd known when you were 18? Now this law's come into effect. Let's speak to the teens now, Darish. Well, when I, was, when I was 18, if I wanted to learn something or find something about a product or China or whatever to import something from, because the manufacturing of the world is in China, I had to literally cycle to the railway station, take the train to Manchester, from there walk to the library and then look for the index book that was referenced to China and somebody else was reading it. <laughs> I used to sit there giving them dirty looks for five hours till they put the book down. And often they didn't, so I have to cycle back. Now, so being an entrepreneur 18 years ago was a lot tougher than it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, information is at a finger of, you know. Yeah, I've got a computer in your a, pocket. Exactly. So you can be on the bus, you can be on the toilet, you can whatever, and you can just find out any information about any. So entrepreneurship is a lot easier to get into. However, we're unfortunately influenced to think that it's instant reward. And 99.99% of businesses takes time to be successful. Expert advice and realness now with Darius Sudi. He's the founder of Arena and Be Unique Group. And we're talking about entrepreneurship specifically for younger people. As we know, um, now that law has changed, you can start a business legally here in the UAE at the age of 18. Just shows the UA is so behind when it comes to those these entrepreneurs just pushing forward. The UA is here for you guys and uh, we're taking your questions because, Darius, you've got, you've got some stories to share. You really do. And I wanted to... I guess ask you to shine a bit of a light on some of the setbacks you've had in your life. I think it's really, I think it's really important to acknowledge these, especially when we look at how far you've come. What comes to mind when I say that word setback? There is no setbacks. Uh, at the at the time you're going through it, you think, why me? But then, no matter what, first of all, if you're going through good times, it soon shall pass. If you're going through bad times, it soon shall pass. Always, when you look back, your maximum growth came from the times that were lowest. Because I think that um, your biggest enemy is your comfort zone mm-hmm. and your biggest growth is your hunger. And when you're at your bottom, <laughs> bottom of your life, lowest point of your life is when you're most hungry. And that's where growth happens. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. I'm in my 50s now. And uh, in 2008, I was quite wealthy in the UK and I got attacked at home uh, by four knife men, uh, men with knives. And they um, threatened to harm my family. So out of fear, I sent them to Dubai. Sent your kids over. Indeed, to be safe. And then uh, within, I think, two months, I had a heart attack and I lost all my business. 
So I came here September 2009, which was the peak of the recession, where I lost everything. I didn't go bankrupt, but I lost everything. And I came here with just under $1,000. And I lived in a maid's room. My diet was two coffees and a sugar donut a day for six months. And my children didn't go to school for six months because I couldn't afford to pay. And um, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Did it feel like that at the time? Not at the time. How did you get yourself out of it? Because that's that's a mental struggle. It is because your circumstances are telling you that you're a failure. But I just know that you come alone in this life, you leave alone, and you only have one opportunity to make an impact. There was no second chance for me. I just had to make it. And um, we discussed this earlier. I love employing single moms, for instance, because they have a, a desire to serve somebody greater than themselves. And I had children to, to feed and put to school. So there was no, I burned my boats mm-hmm. and there was just one way forward. And there was no failure. So although my circumstances said I was failing, but my mindset was set to succeed. So every single day I had cards placed everywhere, in my visor on my car, in the mirror, next to my bed. Uh, Everyone's saying, you have to do this every single day. Achieve little milestones every single day and you will achieve your goals monthly, weekly, monthly, annually. And that's building your confidence as well, isn't it? When you start, you said earlier, every single day you've got something to celebrate and something to feel bad about. But those little wins accumulate always the most the biggest win you can have is when somebody pays you for your services <laughs> because you can have lots of wins but then if nobody's paying you it's not you're not a business right so if you're not a business and you're not about money you're a charity so there's unfortunately too many people who got issues and mindsets about money or yeah just feeling deeply uncomfortable about it about asking for money or knowing your worth that's a big thing yes valuing yourself yeah how many people sell their time and not their experience so what I say to young people, one of my advice is that don't start giving yourself limited beliefs. Oh, I'm young. Nobody knows about me. So you're underpriced because you tend to sell your soul for money. And that's a really hard trap to get out of because then to then put your prices up, it's, it's tricky. When you got discount food at a restaurant, you, want, you never want to pay full price. Mm-hmm. So what I say is look at the value you bring into the marketplace, how much time and money you're saving the other person, and then Put your price according to that. It's irrespective. People actually celebrate the fact that you're young because you got new ideas, you're creative, you got energy and passion. So I'd rather work with a young person than an older person. Well, let's get the text line. Darish Sudi is with us this afternoon. Great question here. That's coming from Joey on 4001 saying, Hi both. Is it better to come up with a completely new idea or concept for a business or stick with something that everybody knows and just put your own twist on it? Great question. To bring something new into the marketplace is a very expensive experience because people are set in their mind, in their mindset and the way they do things. That, because by humans, we habitual. So you have to re-educate a community to, or a customer base. It's very, very expensive to do that. So often it's best to, to allow somebody else to do it and then ride in the back of them and, and offer something more and added value than they're not. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm kind of intrigued with the young entrepreneurs that you're working with. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Gladiator Mastery Program. What kind of trends or areas or industries are you seeing people really turning their attentions to right now? I think the future is definitely uh, online. Uh, with cybersecurity, the world is moving towards blockchain. Now, we might hear about this particular cryptocurrencies do this, but if you actually, I was looking at banks. Banks have been fined hundreds of millions of dollars for misplacing money or doing business with rogue countries. So it's happening everywhere. But cryptocurrency is 11 years old or blockchain technology. It's the way forward. It's like you're in the tourism business and you're actually a a, a travel agent. Right, Your days are numbered. So that's 100% forward. Uh, 
we're talking about cybersecurity. Because if everything's going to go online, you've got to make sure that your security is there. Um, so coding is really important, programming, and, of course, artificial intelligence. So you're saying I need to get my kids into coding? 100%. Okay. It's the way forward. She's only eight, but she loves computing at school. Perfect timing. You see, what happens is we code <laughs> exactly because the attention span is getting less and less and less. Now, with artificial intelligence, you don't even need to be a content writer anymore. You can put the idea down and the computer will give you all the answers and well, I could be talking about chat GPT all day long. Yes. Um, do get in touch if you've got any questions. We are going to be going to the text line in just a couple of minutes because we've had some brilliant, brilliant um, insights and opinions um, on 4001. I just want to quickly, before we head over to the news, uh, Darish, ask you a little bit about social media um, and how you think young entrepreneurs can best use it, leverage it um, for marketing awareness and more. Certainly. I think people forget that relationships are built face to face. And... Um, you can have a strong reach or a, a, a reach that's far from where you are through social media. So I would always use it to actually get some market experience or feedback. Mm-hmm. But to do business, I always do it face to face because relationships are built with people who like you, trust and are like yourselves. And that's never done online. It's interesting. We were, you know, talking about the number of restaurants in Dubai and some of the, the my best loved and certainly some of the most successful are people that might have started it and they are on the ground every day, whether that is like in a maitre d' you know, capacity as a chef. They're greeting customers because you are seeing in real time how people are responding to your food in your space. And you just be so much more plugged in. The fact is that they're passionate about what they exactly. do. Most, most entrepreneurs, unfortunately, get bored. <laughs> so they make money and they leave. But to, it's like Salt Bay, for instance, his, his fingers on the pulse, wherever you are in the world, he's actually working that now. You need a certain amount of discipline. To have a successful business, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Here in the UAE, the legal age for starting a business has been lowered to 18. UAE really pushing entrepreneurship in the region. So if you've got any questions, this is your chance. Joining us in the studio now is the founder of Arena and the Be Unique group. Dariush Sudi is with us. He has been in the UAE 12 years and built an incredible business and reputation for helping people with their entrepreneurship journey. Now, you're a dad of two and I'm curious, Dariush, do you think your kids will go into entrepreneurship having seen you do it? I'm actually a dad of four. You're a dad of four? <laughs> my my first year at 20 and 27 and believe it or not they're both entrepreneurs and super rich and oh, successful rich. and love it. Good for because them. it's okay to talk about money right because uh, they are successful and they are rich and they're 29 and 27 and they are great kids honorable amazing values and i'm more than proud of them but do you think them seeing you and seeing seeing that entrepreneurship was was a possibility was a journey was an option was really instrumental because i think if you grow up in a family where that is shown, you know, you can't be it until you see it is really crucial. Whereas like for me, you know, my, my dad was working for companies his whole life, worked all over the world, but ultimately never had his own business. So I never really saw it as something that would be viable. Yes. One of the things, um, again, great question, because during dinner time, we talk about all the trials and tri- tribulations of running a business. So children are picking up on it. And they don't see you quitting. They don't see you giving up. And you definitely don't see you as a victim because as an entrepreneur, you can't be a victim. As an employee, you can. You can blame the system. You can blame organization. You can bring the culture. But uh, as an entrepreneur, you make the culture. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very much I can do attitude when you're in a house or a home of entrepreneur parents. 
Um, message here from Renette saying, the man talking on your show, Darius, is just what we needed to hear. My grandson's 10 and is learning coding. He's in his element learning about it. I fully understand what you're talking about. I realise I'm not alone in the world. As soon as people acknowledge the mistakes they've made, then you can move forward. Coding in kids. I think, I think you're definitely onto something well, here. Well, first thing, I think your vulnerability is your strength. So I don't mind sharing my vulnerability and my mistakes because that makes you the person you are today. So mm-hmm. too many people try to hide the fact that they've made mistakes. I think we should celebrate it because at the end of the day, we're human and we're not perfect. And I've been hearing time and time again when it comes to people investing in people, you know, people investing in an idea. They want to see that you've tried and failed. They want to see that you've learned from that and, you know, you'll carry that knowledge forward to that next project. Often what you see in, in, in front of you, because people pitch me to invest for, in them. And every single month I invest in a company now. And an 18-year-old doesn't have mileage. They don't have a history. But what you do want to see in that person is passion and they're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Because why do you want them to, I've had two heart attacks. Why do you want them to go through two heart attacks, lose $100 million, waste 30 years of your life learning when you can learn from me? So that best lesson I can give someone is find a peer group, somebody more experienced than you, who've done well in that area that you want to learn from. But isn't not that, anyone. Isn't that just the best bit of advice, though? Why, why should you care about someone who's doing something that's not necessarily what you want to be doing? Does that exactly. make sense? I and think also, we worry a lot about what people think of us. But and also, don't ask family, because what, <laughs> what, they, a message about this what they advise you is, is conditional. They care about you. So, as somebody who doesn't have an emotional attachment to yourself, only wants the best for you. Let's go to the text line. Um, a message here from Cameron saying, I'm not keen on going to university. I want to start making money sooner rather than later. Does Darish think that degrees hold the same value today or is it better for young entrepreneurs to start as soon as possible? He says, I mean, it worked for Stephen Bartlett. Certainly did. What's your take? And we're sure. not, we don't, we don't want to freak out any parents here, but I'm keen to get your experience on this. I think if you look at history, uh, my parents had maximum two jobs and then they retired. Now you're expected to have up to 20 jobs and then you retire. And the way we, we operate has changed. The, I was looking at the, uh, every single employee in my company has a degree, but not one of them are working in the line where they got the degree from. Mm-hmm. So is it serving the same purpose? Not really, as it used to. Unless you want to be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, you need to have those degrees. But otherwise, what... what um, I think university offers you is a way of thinking and asking questions and having answers. And finally, it's a great peer group because if you don't go to university, you miss out on three years of having friends and a peer group who just like you or think mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you as well a question, and you, t- you touched on it there about family and friends. Farah saying, is it a good idea to start a business with friends? I hear so much about mixing family with money and it not being a good idea. Me and my friends are 21. We're keen to start a pop-up together, but do seem to be at loggerheads a lot. Well, if you're at loggerheads now, the problem is just going to magnify, going to get later. Now, no, don't do business with friends because one, friends don't like to pay friends. Uh, I think it was Bill Gates who was shocked and horrified after one month of trading as Microsoft. His friends came to said, where's our salary? And he couldn't believe because they weren't doing it for free out of passion. So what he decided to do is he was always going to have enough money in the bank that to pay all the salaries for one year if it was not one dollar in revenue Mm -hmm. so it's a shocker when people come and say can i have some money so i would say don't do it friends don't like to talk about money you will lose your friendship and end of the day business 
cannot be personal. So when people reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting your business idea, your business. So never take it personal. I want to come back to your point there about having lots of different jobs over a lifetime. And that's for many different reasons. You know, we're looking at gig economy, we're looking at technology, looking at living a lot longer for, for, for any other logic. What about not knowing what you want to do. I'm sure there's lots of parents listening today who think, you know, it's great if you've got this goal and you've got a passion and you were hearing from young people now who who have got business ideas. But what if you've got a teen who's feeling a bit listless or lost? I think one of the things people say is that we put a lot of pressure on our kids and somebody, I think my mom was asking me, has your 13-year-old decided what he wants to be in life? Why does he have to? Why does he have to stress and worry? We, we are taught to worry about things, and we know that what we worry about is never as bad as reality. So worrying is just a total waste of time and energy. What I said, just let them to be free spirits and be great at whatever they do that day, that moment. Don't worry about the past. Don't think about the past. Don't worry about the future. Live in the now and try to do the best you can. And that's a really good habit to get into. It is. It's, it's easier said than done. I think a lot of parents do worry about their kids, especially when you look at cost of education. It, it's ultimately like, what kind of return investment are we going to get? And that's a really hard mindset to get out of. Well, teach them financial education. Because at school, they don't teach you financial education. I'm sorry to say if teachers are listening to this. Uh, it's just that... We've been talking about all afternoon. What, what's been missing? What's yeah, missing unfortunately, in the And so many people saying money management. You name me a rich teacher, mm. right? True. So if you can't do it, you teach it. So Oh, no, no, no. I'm standing up for the teachers now. Standing okay, name up for me the a teachers. rich professor at university. So do it, but they're, doing that. They're, not doing it. they're not doing it for the money. I think that's the difference. Sometimes it's a vocation. It's a calling. It's a, and, but I do totally agree. Money management needs to be taught in schools because we're doing exactly. our kids a disservice, not knowing the difference between a credit card and a debit card. Exactly. And interest rates, borrowing, leverage. Compound interest. All all of this. Absolutely. So I think there's a room for the current way of teaching and also we need to add financial education on top. Tell us a little bit about what you're teaching about the, the I love the name, the Gladiator Mastery Programme. Um, What's it all about? Very quickly tell you what yeah, Gladiator on, Mastery is. We've only got is. a couple of minutes. I'm really into I- uh, Italian history and uh, 2,000 years ago when uh, you were a gladiator and you were chained and a slave, you had to fight your way, entertain people to fight your way to freedom and in the arena. So I thought that's a really good way of describing it because the arena is like life. But now, without practice, without any maneuver, without any planning, we send to the arena to fight every single day and we lose our battles and we expect to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves and move on. If that was 2,000 years ago, we would have died. So which death do you want, the instant one or the long-lasting one? So what I do is I teach people strategies to be successful and win in life in the shortest possible time. How short are we talking? It's, uh, I can teach in a day, but you have to put into practice. Habits are formed over time. So it's rehearsal, practice, practice. Practice makes permanent. Like, thank you for saying that. We were talking about perfection on the show earlier this week. Lowest, lowest de- common denominator. It's, it's the lowest standard perfectionist. Um, practice <laughs> makes progress. Um, you've started this program, but not just for adults, but for young people as well. How young are we talking, Darish? From age of five. Because what happens is in my seminars, I have hundreds of people attending uh, and I teach them that I can teach a a five-year-old how to sell and make money in 20 minutes. And I often make about five, six thousand dirhams in front of everybody. And I said, you adults, what's your excuse? And I pay him a commission, the five-year-olds. And I said to them, shout, money comes easy to me. You are going to meet my kids. Love that, to. That is 18th my, of March. That's my work. retirement plan right there. Darish, if anyone wants to find out more about you and, of course, as I said, the programs that you're offering, what's the best way of getting in touch? Um, Darush Sudi, D-A-R-I-U-S-H, Sudi, S-O-U-D-I, official 
and I'm on all platforms. You can send me a message just saying biz if you want on 4001 and I will hook you up at that link. Thank you so much. It's been so fascinating to hear your story, your learnings and, and what you're offering here in the UAE. Thank you. Um, thank you so, so much. And some brilliant questions as well, guys. I think, uh, I think we've got a bright future here in the UAE with some of the messages we've had in today. Now, when I was growing up at the risk of sounding like my dad, it was all about those three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Um, And this old style curriculum has been talked about for a long time, you know, setting kids up for the future, math, science, reading, writing, especially as many jobs, um, well... They don't, they don't exist right now, the, kid, the jobs that our kids are going to be doing. So how can we future-proof them? What should schools be teaching today? We're joined now by Dr. Faruqi, sorry, Dr. Dala Faruqi Kekos. She is an international education strategy consultant. I think it's really important. She's also a mum because, as I said to you off air, when we're talking about kids and people who do this professionally, I think it's really interesting to get your take on the real-life applications for some of the things we're talking about, Dala. So... I've already had so many messages about suggestions from people that they love to see on a curriculum. Because can I read you a couple of them? Yes, that would be great. Um, Ian saying financial subjects, um, financial literacy, money management. Um, Jemima saying industrial education, home economics and agriculture. That's a really interesting. I was just listening to a podcast this morning about um, kind of well, environmental economics and agriculture and how actually how little we understand about it. So good timing there. So let's talk a little bit about the curriculum and how it has changed or hasn't changed over the last couple of decades, Dala. What's your take? Um, well, thank you, Helen. You're I, welcome. The, the curriculum is always trying to look forward, and I guess that's a good takeaway. It's always trying, and mm-hmm. that's really important for it to never sort of settle. Um, there are a lot of uh, traditional classes still in existence, and it, it likely will not change and has not changed for the past few decades, like you said, reading, writing, arithmetic, as they say, <laughs> the three R's, like you said, exactly. And, um, you know, there's always in a component of social studies, um, some sort of uh, global awareness, uh, um, uh, some sort of uh, uh, um, practical uh, application of those things. So more and more schools are incorporating critical thinking, which is a great thing, also a buzzword for the past few decades. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, I would consider, something they've achieved. Now, to look beyond that, um, I think the most important thing that we need to work on still, which is just sort of a trickle, and a lot of corporations are actually making more headway than educational institutions are, which is uh, the students' well-being. And when I say well-being, I don't just mean doing yoga a couple of times a week and eating granola and being healthy. That's all great. But Do that if you want to, but it's not yes, just that. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a great sort of start, if you will. But for the students, it's about um, mental fortitude. It's mental strength, the ability to handle adversity, mm-hmm. the ability to handle change, the ability to sort of uh, let them go on, on their own and knowing that they can handle just plain old sadness. I mean, this is something that, you know, we are all sort of talking about more and more, um, especially this past decade. I mean, when I was growing up in the 80s, it was not really um, common. Same. Uh, Yeah, so if you had a career counselor in school back then, in the 90s as well, that's considered a tick on, yes, that school is great, it's inclusive, you know, it's forward thinking. Now, um, schools do have a um, mental health counsellor, which is also very good, but 
is it enough? I would say no. I think I think it's again, as you say, not just about ticking a box of saying, you know, have we done one mindfulness session this term? But sometimes it's an attitude or language used, you know, throughout the day, throughout different lessons, and that can be attitude towards, you know, competition. As you say, mental resilience, um, being independent, things that will set them up, and you know, you don't realise it when you're, you know, six, eight, ten, twelve, that these are skills that you might need in further study that you'll certainly need later in life. And I think it's more of an attitude shift. And I understand why things perhaps don't move that fast in education because you've kind of got to undo a lot of the parents' thinking as well. Of like, well, this is what I did. Yes. And this, this is a known, this is safe. This is, you know, I think it takes, um, I don't want to say a special type of parent because I think that's a bit unfair, but I think it takes a, quite, quite a bold parent to go, we'll try something different. Yes, and I think that's also a role of the school. The educators are the ones that parents trust to show them the way forward. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not just academics that they should be looking at. It's also how to guide them into life. Mm -hmm. And some of those skills that we can look at, like they did in critical thinking and how they established that with a priority, is um, lifelong learning, the ability to adapt to lifelong learning, that mental fortitude I talked about, equipping them with um, ways to handle it. They don't have to be strong mentally and show it, but they need to know how to deal with adversity, whether it's worksheets, etc., etc. Well, if you can come to the text line, let us know what would you like to see taught in schools. Uh, Ryan saying communication and negotiation skills Negotiation's a great one. Love that. John says emotional management skills and then goes on to say, and how not to be entitled little you know what. Big problem here. Kids just don't hear no enough. Jen says dance with four exclamation marks. Elena's saying nutrition and balance. Nutrition's an interesting one because, I mean, I think about the home economics that I was taught at school. There was a lot of pineapple upside down cakes. It wasn't necessarily about nutrition. Well, there's but, fruit. There's fruit. In there. mm, not <laughs> pineapple and syrup. Yeah, we're we're really stretching it on the five a day there. But nutrition, I think, is, a, is an excellent one. We look at kind of the obesity crisis we find ourselves in. Um, mindfulness and meditation. Again, financial literacy, money management. Reza saying more about bodies and consent. This is essential. I love that. Yes, I love that too. I mean, part of the mental fortitude and the strength is confidence mm. and the confidence to know where you are as an individual. Um, so that's also lending itself to safety. Um, and that's something that is uh, very, very important for children going forward. There's always that um, topic of conversation at home, extending it into the classroom. It is being discussed to a certain extent, especially with the internet not being such a huge, huge topic, digital safety and well-being. Abs- and that's exactly what yeah. we've just had a message about. Um, this is from uh, Jamie saying, online safety, social media and gaming, it's not going anywhere. We need to navigate it like we were taught how to cross a road. Let me know what you think is missing from the current education offering. It could be soft skills, it could be academic, and so many of you getting in touch. To talk through this conversation, we've got Dr. Dala Faruqi Kika. She is an international education strategy consultant. She's also a mum of two, which I think is particularly pertinent when we think about some of the decisions we make as parents. And we do that with the best of intentions. You know, it's just so interesting that right now there's how much information, how much change is going on to future-proof our kids for careers that most likely don't even exist now. Really fascinating to get your take on what you would be putting into place. Dube saying um, public speaking and drama. Lawrence saying managing mental health and how to talk about it. What do you say about that, Dala? I think that kind of choosing, choosing words and language around mental health is something that's definitely changed a lot in the last few years. 
Yes, I think the ability to communicate, um, somebody else mentioned that, and that's, that was on my wish list. I, I made a wish list of if I could create a curriculum. Okay, oh, that's, yes. a, that's a great one. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to give you all the power. I'm going to make you Education Minister of the World. How mm-hmm. does that sound? Oh, don't, don't abuse your power. <laughs> but what, what would you like to see implemented, changed, removed even from, from schools for the betterment of the children, but also society as a whole? Okay, so, well, one, first and foremost, I think that the decision-making, a lot more should be handed over to the students themselves. Usually you can hire consultants, you can do your own studies, you can ask teachers, professors, but the thing is when you ask the students, they'll tell you exactly what's wrong and what they want. And, you know, it might be more candy and definitely you can put that aside. Let's say more candy in the canteen. But, uh, but, you know, they usually do know exactly what's wrong and how to improve upon it in terms of their learning. Mm. Um, the wish list I had was the critical thinking, cultivating the ability to communicate in the current lingua franca which is English these days, um, equipping them with the mental fortitude, the ways to handle adversity, like we said, and the adaptability. Um, and that lends itself to the whole lifelong learning. Um, in terms of the, uh, the learning otherwise, the choices you can make as a student need to be expanded. So one thing that people love about university is the ability to choose, the ability to have electives. And this is something that some high schools are providing now, um, but it should be everywhere. And it should maybe even begin in middle school, maybe begin in elementary, where they choose what they want to do because my firm belief is to prepare somebody for later, they need to showcase their talent, they need to tap into that, and then that needs to be aligned to their skills. And that creates a dream career for them that they can not only, you know, financially benefit from, but also be very happy about. Yeah. Kind of aligned with those with those values. A message here and no name on this one saying, what's missing in education? Supportive parents. I think Aww. that's really interesting because if the pandemic taught me anything, it's that, yes, while we do pay a lot of money often for education <laughs> here, it made me realize that actually parents and teachers are very much on the same side and that we are a team. Um, and I think having that level of understanding and communication between parent and teacher, but also between parent and student. And I've seen this time and time again about push, pushy parents especially in Dubai, dare I say it, and it scares me to to be truthful. Mm-hmm. What's your take there? Yeah, I, I, like you said, parents need to learn how to be supportive. It's, it's different now than it was when we were growing up in some ways. Um, but just being there and being non-judgmental, just usually just sitting quietly, asking questions in a very undirect way. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your day? They're not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> At any age, they're not going to answer that. Who, you know, what was your win for today? What made you laugh today? Um, what was something that you really didn't enjoy doing today? Uh, tapping into that by asking smaller questions or just taking them out for, you know, uh, a healthy, you know, yogurt, frozen yogurt. You were going to say ice cream. I was going to say ice cream. That's fine as well. <laughs> and letting them talk, mm-hmm. um, giving them that space to know you're there. This is something that I've been kind of struggling with, you know, as a kind of working parent. And I think a lot of parents feel the same. We get this platitude all the time of going, it's not about the quantity of time, it's about the quality. And I think there is a truth in that. But I've noticed that, you know, over the weekends when I'm spending longer time with my girls, that is when they open up. That's when they start saying, oh, this happened. And did you, did I did it tell you about this? I think there's... No, there's a there's a counter argument, unfortunately. Um, Taryn saying, don't force children to learn too young. Let them play in those early years. Um, and this is from Sylvia, who got in touch on zero four eight seven one double five double zero. As a former teacher, I've worked in the school system uh, for quite some time, and now I'm a professor in university. And I've noticed that most of my students struggle with study skills. And when I talk about study skills, I mean um, how to retain information and how to manage their time effectively, how to note take 
how to active read and active listen. So I would highly recommend having study skills classes uh, enforced in schools to prepare students for university. It's an interesting point. You have the best teachers in the world teaching the most fascinating topics. But if those kids aren't a, enjoying it, b retaining it and you know not being able to prove their knowledge, there's no point in the first place. Yeah, I think I think she has a point. Um, one of the universities here actually does offer a year of um, of study skills, pretty much preparing them for university when they're already in university, just because there was so much need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what I think the role of schools are in there is that they could start that much earlier. Um, more and more of the students are becoming independent when they go into college, and that sort of change is something that they're not ready for at mm-hmm. times. Again, it touches upon the parents sometimes. I don't want to blame parents. It's not their fault. They're doing a great job. But in terms of independence of study, um, in terms of tapping into the talent as opposed to saying, I need help, Mm -hmm. letting the students say, I need help when they need help, in terms of um, reminding them that the teacher is there to help them and if they have questions, they're welcome to stay after school, that sort of thing. Um, But yes, the whole study skills, critical thinking, um, the ability to learn by themselves is very, very important because they must, we should not be spoon feeding them, even the study skills. This is something they have to learn by themselves because as you may know, a lot of this generation is learning in different ways. A lot of them learn by watching as opposed to reading and writing. So for them, study skills is different. So they should be able to adapt what the teacher is saying to them in class and then learning it themselves. Um, and Master Shea is saying, support of the students, but especially the school. As teachers, we try so hard. Here, here. And I just said off air to Dr. Dala there that the pandemic really taught me just how undervalued and, uh, dare I say, underpaid um, teachers are. You are absolutely incredible in doing something I couldn't do in a million years. Um, a really interesting message from Hanan, and it's touching on my next question to you, Dala, saying, listening to your show has made me realise I made the right decision in sending my year six daughter to citizen school. They cover the majority of what's been discussed so far with their reimagined education. Now, this is school I find absolutely fascinating. They've got a completely different look at the curriculum. They've got a completely different look at the uniform. Um, so I think I want to ask you a little bit about, I guess, so-called experiment, experiential and experimental schools. Yes. What's your take? Well, this is super exciting, actually. So there's a lot of room for players, new players in the education institution landscape Disruptors. in UAE. Yes, and they are very much welcome. So if you're looking at green schools, so um, one of our school representatives just went to Bali and they were looking at multi-purposing everything at one with nature, being thoroughly involved with the community. So you're you're doing these trickle effects right now, mm-hmm. just magnify them more for these kind of schools. And also the charter schools, you're looking at also for um, students with elevated uh, skills, for example, you're talking about STEM schools, performing arts schools, there's definitely a place for that here. Um, so these are the sort of schools. Now, in terms of charter schools specifically, this is actually created by the community or the parents. So you can experiment and sort of choose what you want to teach your own children. Um, So you become an educator in a way. And like you said, it's not an easy job. So it is not easy creating a charter school. It is not easy. It is usually publicly funded in the U.S. um, But it's something that is gaining more and more traction within neighborhoods and smaller communities for their children. And it is very successful. Mm -hmm. Last question to you, and we've touched on it there about what a tough job teachers have. What do you think needs to change to attract more teachers to the profession? And we're seeing it certainly in the UK, huge amount of teachers quitting over burnout, feeling taken for granted. Mm-hmm. What what needs to change there, Dala? I, I think uh, in general, just appreciation. I mean, the, ba- the basic answer is going to be pay, but also it's going to be about motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a worldwide issue with every industry, retention of good 
workers. So you need to sort of train the trainer and let them motivate each other. Uh, there needs to be leaders in that community and they need to say, like the students, what they want and what would make them happy. And you need to listen and be receptive and not very defensive, which is mm-hmm. what some employers may be like, oh, well, we gave you a, a pool table. What more do you want? We got pizza on Friday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily like do away with the pizza and give them more um, sick days off to be with their kids when they need to be mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's really about tapping into and this is ever evolving after the pandemic a lot of these uh, needs evolved or we're saying or, or people are saying okay that's it i'm not compromising anymore and this is what we're seeing more and more with this generation so hopefully people will um, listen and construct new solutions for that for the teachers well Dala, thank you so much for your time today it's been thank really you. fascinating We've had some fun amazing suggestions on the text line and the phone lines and squeeze in one last message this is samuel math is an essential subject but instead of teaching the theory uh, students should be taught the basics of finances, of how to save, uh, the spe- expenditure, and those type of things. So it will help them a lot uh, in making a lot of uh, future decisions. So we've got a real mix there of those emotional softer skills, but also the practical equipping our kids for the future. Dala, for anyone that wants to find out more about you, the work you do as a consultant there in education, and indeed some of your resources, theories, philosophies, what's the best way of getting in touch? Um, you can contact me on Instagram at Dr. D in Dubai. If you want those details, drop me a little message saying education and I will send that your way. It's been a pleasure to catch up. I'd love to chat again. Um, Really, really fascinating subject. And I hope some educators were listening today. And yes, teachers, we love you. The last 30 years have been pretty revolutionary on the tech front. So you think back to 30 years ago, the idea of shopping online didn't exist. And now, well, we've got a bit of a hybrid model. But what does the future hold? Today, the retail landscape has been revolutionised. Anything and everything pretty much available at the press of a button. It normally says pay now. One man who believes the future of shopping will help us live better is Oliver Corrin. He is the global head of interior design at the Latitude Agency. He is a self-confessed metaverse believer who develops futuristic concepts and consumer experiences for a number of companies worldwide. He's also a big advocate for the meta Metaverse, um, AR, VR, and how the technology will change the way we live and the way we shop as well. Oliver, I don't need shopping to be any easier, okay, unless you're paying my credit card bill. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Helen? It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. I, I'm so fascinated by this topic. And when I say fascinated, I mean a little bit scared as well. We all are. Okay, well, that. thank you um, I, for acknowledging that because... It is that sense of the unknown. And when we think about the metaverse and how we're going to be paving in the future, I find myself sounding like my granny, being like, oh, not sure about that. Is that (laughs) safe? That's never going to happen. But we are probably closer than we might realise. So let's talk about those consumer experiences. You know, many of us shopping online, I think pandemic massively accelerated that for so many people. So let's fast forward to 2030. Can you paint us a picture? I'll do a little bit of my job. Yeah, so for sure. So when I sort of, to break it down, if we talk about, I think the biggest thing is just how at the moment shopping is instant. And I think that's going to just increase exponentially. Well, instant in that you can you can press that button. Yeah, that's as instant as we get now. But say, for instance, to play it out, imagine uh, watching Netflix. Like, what's your favourite show at the moment on Netflix? <laughs> One of I was them. Say, I was going to say Happy Valley. I'm not buying anything in Happy no, Valley. No, maybe okay, that or Bridgerton. Let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about a food show. Let's talk about something like Top Chef, where they're looking at ingredients. Or, or how about something... 
I don't know, something fashion. Well, say like White Lotus. Yes. Yeah, when everyone loves White Lotus at the moment. So say, for instance, you see something on there. Say, for instance, you go, oh my God, I love those trousers. I love that top, the watch, whichever it may be. Say, for instance, you could then freeze Netflix. You could then on connect to the next would be connected on your phone, the app to the TV. You could click on it, find out where the shop's from. It could obviously pre-know your size. And then you could instantly order it and send it to you like that. And then go, okay, cool, bought that. Press play, off we go. Well, that's interesting when we think about things like affiliate marketing and how, you know, TV shows could be obviously taking commissions from all of this. And we've seen, obviously, product placement. Looking at you, Bond. Um, (laughs) That's exactly what popped into my head as well, because, of course, that... That that, that that, bottle. It's all of the nice, hold, let me look at my watch just for about five seconds. Great. Five seconds longer than I would do naturally. Just (laughs) make sure that logo is Struggling to tell the time. (laughs) Um, So that that kind of instant. Absolutely, for sure. That's going to be the one thing. Yeah, definitely. And and removing that pain point of having to research. What is that brand? It's it's just going to be there. But that's the point where I think everyone gets frustrated with because you want it you want it now and I think obviously the, the quicker the, the less sort of the, the sort of the distance between that sort of journey of clicking and everything else is reduced obviously the quicker the purchase will be because it's more impulsive mm-hmm. after five seconds it's sort of those things that you see most sort of you know Carl Robbins or they might say like if you want to do something do it in under five seconds because if not your brain will kick in and like talk you out of it like getting out of bed do it in under five seconds because after five you're like oh but you're really tired Are what about sure? other forms of advertising like your outdoor space your billboards and I think like yeah that? for sure like billboards we'll say we go to digital billboards which there already are now but I think the sort of ones that close to that is that there will be sort of again digital advertisement for clothes or products and I think you'll be able to go up there and you'll be able to say we'll look at it where you can interact with it instantly and you'll be able to order it say if it's through a smart wallet and the smart wallet will already have all of your addresses and information pre onto it so you can literally just just sort of select what you want and it'll automatically upload it into that and then order it and it could be home by the time you get back from work. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's not just instant purchase. That delivery time is getting shorter and shorter. I met a friend for lunch a while ago and she was a bit early. She'd ordered some sunglasses and they'd arrived to the cafe by the time we were paying the bill. (laughs) I was like, sorry, what planet are we living on? They were actually a pair of sunglasses, which brings me to one of your points. Glasses? Augmented reality. Tell us about what role they might play. Yeah, I, I like this one. So at the moment, we know VR is like a big thing and we're seeing everywhere the matters. The great thing is to buy a big advert for it. They're really pushing for it, which is fantastic. But I also, the, the thing is, the problem is mentally, like the, the, the brain can't differentiate a lot between reality and what's not. And it is confusing. People get motion sickness, things like this. So with likes of AR, so augmented reality, you wear your glasses, but essentially we'll just put, sort of put on top of that a completely digital layer. Like so, Minority Report kind of exactly style. Exactly, that kind of style. So like Ready Player One's a big example of like, if you know the film with the, with the case of it, with VR, but say for instance you're walking down the street, you go past uh, a shop or in the mall and you go past it, say if it's like a Levi shop and you'll be able to say, oh, you like this type of uh, trouser. Oh, actually they've got, this is their new line which is like that and they have it in your size and it's this much money. So if you come in now and then say for instance you then go into the store, your preloaded customer profile the personalized assistant will know, oh, they're coming to try this. They'll be able to get all the clothes ready for you in your size and go, great, it's ready to try on. And it just sort of, it's streamlining the process, of course, to to encourage you to to obviously buy. Yeah, I'm going to be broke. Yeah. (laughs) But but it's interesting that you mentioned there still those bricks and mortar stores because there are some aspects of online shopping that really lend themselves. And I would say clothes perhaps is a bit 50-50 for me, especially depending on a price point. Sometimes I do want to try something on. What are your predictions when it comes to the existence of malls, shops, and I mean, I've even seen in uh, Dubai Hills Mall here a shop where you simply go in, a bit like Argos, and you just order, and it all kind of comes through the back. There's no physical product in yeah. the store. No, for sure. There's that. So for me, I don't think they're going anywhere. 
It's one of those things where it's about just the, the, the gap between the function and them both will go. So, for instance, online is fantastic, you say, for clothes, um, for food. If you're Definitely. just doing a grocery delivery, it's great for that. But the point is, you say, sometimes when we're going into the higher end part there. So when you go into shop, really, it's becoming about experiential. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a shop is really needs to be a physical embodiment of, of a brand. Absolutely. What does it stand and for? And that can be scent. It can be service. All it can it. be exactly. that kind of immersive thing. And there really is no replacement, even in the metaverse. No, and they're doing all that now with smart projected targeted smells and everything like that but really it was one of the things is it's a case of it's about knowing what's right for the purpose and again mm-hmm. physical store on that one there i think that's again it's it's about the fact is a physical store can provide everything online cannot let's you mentioned food there mm. how are we seeing the role of technology and things like smart fridges um kind of closing that loop i guess and again removing another pain point for sure like for me i okay i'm one of those people i love going to supermarket me too. i love it love a browse i know it's one of those things where i ha- i can't stand going online and just doing my shopping there it's so boring I, and i'm like i'm more of an i'm very impulsive I'm like oh this would be really lovely or i'd like this i'd like this and you know that whole point there so it's a case of i like going to physical stores so in the case of being on say the online part smart fridges as you mentioned it's a case of i think there'll be permissions but essentially when you're running out of milk i'll just reorder it and there already the technologies, a lot of it's here now. Mm-hmm. But it's a case of how it can go forwards to the point where maybe it'd be able to, you know, we're looking at covens that can probably like pre-make, you know, your dishes and all sorts of parts of that. It's going to be, it's just all about taking pain points out of life so you can enjoy more of life, enjoy more of experiences and taking all that away. I think that's key. I think it's interesting because when you're talking about saving time, often the time that that will save, we'll just spend scrolling on our phones anyway. <laughs> Well, hopefully not we'll be together and be present <laughs> i hope so but this is what kind of i guess brings out the granny in me when we think about the metaverse and i just think about people who are perhaps having a better time online than they would do with you know real people in 3d and, and that lack of eye contact human connection hugging um so let's talk a little bit about the metaverse because we're already getting people spending in there oh uh, yes socializing obviously but even yeah. things like you know development company you know, companies setting up you know their own well everything apartment blocks and you know nightclubs and you know stores and things like that so how do you think we're going to be able to keep a balance if is it possible i think so i i think because obviously it's a real boom thing right now and it's it's a very buzzword trendy as we saw with facebook changing the name to meta mm-hmm. like they doubled down it which i I'm sort of skeptical on whether that really worked because I think it was just the whole hype around what happened through the pandemic and everyone's online. But physical is physical. So I think with the metaverse, it, you know, when you look at it where hotel brands are creating digital versions of their hotels in the metaverse, which can, again, there's some advantages to that for sure. Say, for instance, you wanted to go and view the different room types, yep. the restaurant, look at the experiences they offer, do your pre, you know, check-in online, sort of check-in online type part there, but be more through your avatar. And all of those sort of lend themselves really, really well to it. Um, so I think, and even now when you look at like Gucci, have just teamed up with Roblox to create a more permanent site there so you can take your avatar around and collect the Gucci gems and like dress up your avatar and and all that part there so i think there's definitely a time and a place but it's not for f i think everyone's try every sector is trying it right now mm-hmm. but i think we'll see it whittle down to understand where it's best used and where the user wants just it throwing enough stuff at the wall and it, seeing, it, seeing what, what sticks. sticks yeah interesting to, okay i'm don't want to put you on the spot but lastly your guess well your one big prediction for the future of shopping oliver Corrin. what what would you be i don't want to say putting your money on but what are you watching keenly um one of the big things of shopping, I think uh, online sh- e-commerce is 
definitely going to is going to be the realistically the, the key and the source for shopping and i think what one thing the big thing is we're going to see is due to the new technologies that come out like sort of emotional intuitive technology you say connected to your smartwatch it'll be able to read your are you mo- wearing a smartwatch i'm not no, no I'm, I'm old either. school no don't, sorry not for me i love the i'm all old school I, I love, love that analog, analog but also analog. yeah absolutely hybrid yeah, exactly. um and so say it can read all your mood your levels so then you can go on a website and then it will literally adapt the whole website to you so it can change the colors on it if you're really stressed it can do more calm it can change the font style it can understand what's what you've been shopping what you've been looking at so then it can sort of sort of intuitively change all of the uh, promotions and it'll be your personal website and you know what you. i'm down for that if it's, if it's not going to show me tiny fonts oh. and tiny sizes i'm definitely more inclined to spend some more money Oliver, thank you so so no, much it's for, been an absolute pleasure for anyone that wants to find out a little bit more about what you guys are doing latitude agency what's the best way of getting in touch and checking out some of those projects uh best probably the best way to go is on a website don't so. tell me metaverse no <laughs> <laughs> i'm pushing for it but not there yet <laughs> no it's best to go on our website online so latitudeagency.com that's the best really way. really interesting to get your take thank you so so much oliver corin joining us a global head of interior design Joining me in the studio is Kevin Sebastian. He's the creative director of Audio Media. He's a self-confessed geek. And I have to say, probably one of the most popular people in the UAE right now, because what have you got in your hot little hand? In an actual first, we have the Samsung S23 Ultra. I just got it. When did this officially come to market? Uh, it comes out on 17th of this month. So this is a real exclusive. This is really exclusive, yeah. Before we open it, can you give us a little bit of context, a little bit about the significance, I guess, of this release? So this is obviously Samsung's flagship product. Every year they come up with a new phone. And I think Samsung as a company also understand that they, like people are not going to jump to the next biggest model. Not necessarily. You've got yeah, to give you absolutely. good reason, right? This is the same with the with Apple as well. Like right. you obviously are not going to throw down three to four thousand dirhams in in Ooh. phones. You're obviously going to see if you're going to generationally upgrade or not. And like, I think most people tend to benchmark phones as should I upgrade within a year? My my obvious answer to that would be no, never. Thank goodness you said that it was like a year. Unless you've broken your phone and through some sheer miracle, something something has really terribly happened to your experience and you really want to upgrade, then yes. Uh for me, it's very simple, right? Like, obviously, Samsung as a company has released three different tires of phones. They have the S23, the S23 Plus, and the S23 Ultra. Now, I'm someone who uses the Ultra personally. You've got the 21. I had an S21 Ultra, yes. That's what I personally use. So, I, I again, jumped two generations and now the S23 Ultra because it's a generational leap in camera performance. It's got 200 megapixels. And um, it's way better designed, I have to say. Really? Yeah. So one of the things, and I'm going to unbox it right now. Come on, let's have a look. Yeah, because oh, we know how people used to pleasing? unbox it and stuff. So they've gone the very eco-sustainable route, just like Apple. No charger, just the device and the uh, cable as well. So here you go. It's This is one of the colors. It's a nice ha- color, by the way. It's, it's kind of like a gunmetal gray. Yeah, but it's apparently green. So Is it? This is green for Am them. Am I colorblind? Oh, oh. sound. So, one of the interesting things, and yeah, you go, it's booting up right off the bat. So, this is the phone. It's really nice. And it's got like very nice classy things as well. So, like, one of the things, by the way, whenever I come to film phones, right, my biggest complaint is I can't never have them standing up. Go on. This one will stand perfectly straight. Obviously, you have to be careful, but... Oh, my God. So, I'm not saying you don't need a tripod, but for content creators, that's... So, technically, you can leave it on... Like, obviously, hopefully, leave it on a straight surface. Do not smash it live on Dubai. I oh, no, no, it. no, I will not. <laughs> but, yeah, the idea is that you can, like, lay it on straight. Now, there's a reasoning for that as well. Like, 
part of the reason why they've made this very interesting design choice is because it's very easy to grip. Because mm-hmm. people are can be, you know, clutches sometimes. Careless. Careless yes. Type. So it's a it's a classic design. So come let me give a very, very quick rundown as to what's different from last year, right? The S23 and S23 Plus have a better battery. It's like 200 milliamps more battery. So you're looking I mean, at... that means nothing to me, but so if we, yes, if we can it talk means it's, time. It means your phone's going to last a lot longer. So uh, last year, I, I, I can show you the last year's, the 21 Ultra. So this is a two-year two year generation leap. So this is the main difference. Like you can tell yeah. immediately because this has like a bit of a cover. Yeah, that, This that, one does that's not. That's pretty slick looking. Yes. So this same design now applies to all the phones as well. And this one has a much better camera. It has a much better processor. And I'm really toning down the amount of information that I know about this device. But one of the things that really sold it for me, now, I, I, I love taking photographs. You know this. Yeah, you're a content creator. Yes. This has the ability to take pictures of the night sky with constellations mapped out in the app itself. Oh, so if you want to take a picture of, say, the Orion Belt, it'll actually show you where the Orion Belt is. And you can actually go there and take like a hyperlapse of the stars. That's how Please good. Please do that for us. Yeah, I will know. actually go to Kudra on a nice nice night and i really wanted to take the picture of the comet that was around us because that comet is only around for a couple of minutes well, for, you know yeah. what i'm gonna ask you and it's coming on the text line yes how much how much is it huh very very good question so this one starts at 1199 dirhams sorry not 1199 dirhams dollars uh, okay so, okay My do bad. not ask me to convert yes so the other so it's very much in line with the pricing of the previous Month previous last year's model essentially. Now I heard um, a gentleman from Samsung on, on Business Breakfast this morning. Yes. They were talking about prices, and I guess one thing that I hadn't quite appreciated was just how much. Well, you know, obviously inflation, but mostly conversion rates can impact the price depending on the market. Absolutely. So I can tell you. Uh, so I actually have the prices with me right now. So the Galaxy S twenty three starting at three thousand one hundred ninety nine dirhams. The S twenty three Plus is three thousand eight hundred ninety nine dirhams. So for people who are looking to buy the smaller version of the phone, they have a 700 dirham difference. This one starts at 4,949 dirhams. Oh, la, la. Uh, they have, they have like three colors, but the idea is that if you go to the online store, so there's a lot of online store offers that they're really pushing right now. Mm-hmm. So they do understand, like what you said, the high price of technology right now and like the rising costs of basically tech. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is to mitigate that is that they've actually asked people if you want to do a trade-in program. Okay. So you can, uh, so Samsung has this thing that you can trade in up to three old phones. doesn't matter. Like Obviously, the, the state of how your phones are also counts for something. You get 3,300 dirhams back towards this phone. Wow. Okay. So, this. I mean. So get get out those drawers. You, yeah. So if you have any old device, so I think that's look. that's a nice way of them being sustainable because I understand like when when a tech company tells me that they're being sustainable, I obviously be like, okay, please put money where your mouth is mm-hmm. when it comes to these sort of things. This is a good way because they technically are recycling old devices. Yeah, and incentivizing. Yeah. All right, like it. So verdict. I don't want to say marks out of ten, but so I'm kind of curious to get your I, final like I said, take. I've only had a very limited time with it, but as a person who's using a phone. I've always stuck with this, the Samsung Note phones because I love my stylus. I love taking down notes. The fact that the Ultra does that for me, it's all in one device. You can connect it to a computer. You can make this a computer. In fact, you can use this as a drawing canvas on a computer. So if you're painting something or if you want to transfer a higher resolution file to your PC, you can do all of that. I know all the Apple fans are obviously going to come and tell me, yeah, we can do that too. But the thing is, Samsung is thinking the bigger picture here, right? We're looking at a device that controls your TV, your lighting system, your movies. They actually incorporate a new system now where if you want to like put Do Not Disturb when you're watching theater with your kids, 
it will actually program everything around you to not give you any notifications whatsoever. And it'll also, you can set routines in a way that your smart lights, your projectors will all merge into a theater scene. So your phone knows not to disturb you for at least the duration of the movie playing. Hey, hey. all right. Okay. You might be enough to tempt me away from the orchard that is my home. Um, yes. Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, so that's that's the new Samsung. The new S23 line is out. Not quite yet, but we had one in the studio. Um, hot news on the tech front. What's happening with Netflix and passwords? I sense that a lot of people are going to unsubscribe very quickly. <laughs> you might be right. What do we need okay, to know? Look, so Netflix have chosen the most aggressive way to enforce their password policy and their sharing policy. Uh, so essentially what's happening is it'll actually phone home. It's a system where you have to log in at least once every 31 days from your main location of where your Netflix account is. What ah. they haven't specified is... What is what constitutes as your one. main account? Is it the first device you log into? Is it your TV? Is it something you do? What if you're traveling? What happens then? So they have a very convoluted process when you're traveling. So if you're traveling, you need to put it on tra- some sort of travel mode where it'll actually try to do that every seven days. So Netflix are limiting. Oh, come on. Netflix are limiting you to that fact that if you have to do it once, it'll only give you like a seven-day window to do this. And presumably everyone who has that password needs to be doing yes. the same? Well, no. So technically whoever who, owns who the account... Has so, to do it. So from what I understand is that you, ha- the person who owns the account, the first device they log into is considered the main device unless you change it in the settings, right? But I, but I got my... Netflix password from a computer that I might have owned like three years ago that I don't have anymore. That's the point. There you go. There, oh. there lies the problem. So now you have to go to your settings and then you have to authorize which device is your main device. Now, you see how much of work that is? Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people are getting a little bit heated up about the issue. Now, Do you, keep in, do you think that they're going to be responding to this they kind will. of clapback? They like, will. Actually. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a massive clapback. And I'm pretty sure that Netflix will in some capacity change the way this is going to be implemented. Okay, let's look at Disney Plus, for example. The one over here. We have a local... I still, I still can't get into it, by the way. Right. <laughs> because Disney Plus over here, if you've... Uh, and I know a lot of people actually, when I spoke about this, and I, I asked Disney themselves as to why this reasoning was, because the app in the US is region locked. And the la- app over here is region locked as well. Okay. Which is why we, for some reason, cannot access Dis- our Disney Plus accounts anywhere else in the world. It'll tell you that you're not belonging to the region, even if you download it offline. Because... Like it's 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 bonkers, right? Because Netflix had this beautiful thing that you can take movies on a flight, and Disney does not have it, which is why I always like tell Netflix has the edge in this one matter, not, not anymore. anymore. So it's gonna be interesting. Uh, you will to have see to plan it. your vacations around your Netflix account. Is <laughs> astounding to me. Well, Kevin, I have to say, so much happening. We haven't even touched on uh, ChatGPT because yeah. there's been something of a clap back there as well. Yes, looking at a, a bit of a clamp down. We will come to that another time. Thank you so much for your time today, for bringing in your new little friend there. For anyone that wants to find out more about what you're up to, your news, your reviews. What's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, I am Knox Voyager on the internet. Anywhere on the internet, you'll find me. Indeed. David saying it will be an OTP code via mobile devices like all other apps. I mean, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Right. Fingers firmly crossed that they do see a bit of sense. Kevin Sebastian joining us from Odea Media. Knox Voyager to check him out across social. We are marking International Friendship Month and starting at the very beginning of life, shining a light on the importance of teaching friendship schools to 
preschoolers. Friendships are one of the earliest and most important skills taught in nursery. And joining us now is Tanya Svetovic. She is the general manager at Altamim Investments Education. And I think a lot of parents, Tanya, have had that you know, shaky moment of dropping their little ones off at nursery for the first time and wanting them to make friends. You know, they might they might have interacted with kids that might be the children of our of, of you know of our friends or you know had the odd play date. But this is when they're spending prolonged time with the same group of children and where they learn an awful lot about themselves and social dynamics as well. So I wondered if you could shed a little bit of light of what friendship actually looks like in that preschool age. Yes, yes. Hello, everybody. Um, so uh, definitely, I would say that uh, powerful friendships um, help children a lot uh, for the general well-being and in the future for mental and physical health. Uh, having a powerful friendships actually help them to practice and learn uh, skills r- uh, related to social and emotional development. Um, having a like strong and powerful friendships in early years help them to feel uh, um, to have sense of belongings uh, to uh, have the decreasing the stress and uh, children are not feeling uh, isolated so they feel actually the full belongings and they work also on their self-esteem uh, at, at the same time um, talking about uh, benefits of friendship for the social skills. Uh, They learn how to communicate properly. They learn how to understand other views points. Um, They learn age appropriate uh, behavior. So I would say that friendships in early years has a huge impact uh, and influence on relationship uh, in adults Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in their life in general, how they communicate, uh, how they how they work uh, in in general in life, how they communicate. Uh, Everything starts from early years, actually, because powerful friendships in uh, in early years uh, give them opportunity uh, to easy transition to new things, Mm -hmm. to settle easy, uh, to feel welcome, to grow their sense of belongings to uh, learn to work with others. So how we do in Hummingbird. Sorry, I just want want to interject. But what does that actually look like in the classroom? Because, you know, friendship for me is about you know, sharing how I feel, you know, being feeling like I'm supported and supporting other people. It's about having fun and kind of blowing off steam. And I understandably don't remember what it was like to have friends when I was two years old. And, you know, not many of us as parents are able to have that insight of what happens in in nursery. So when you are looking to foster friendships in a nursery setting, how do teachers do that? Can you explain a little bit about some of the activities, the mechanics that really help build those relationships? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, I would just start by saying that, uh, uh, first of all, we make, uh, in the nursery, we make very welcoming environment for children to feel welcome in the classroom and to feel belongings. So, and they enter the classrooms, we organize uh, such activity with the small groups when they have opportunity to experience uh, to be part of positive experiences, but also to be part of the conflict so Mm -hmm. they can understand that feeling also. So we always encourage them to play with each other, to share activity. There are always children who 
will play sometimes uh, individually independently, which is completely fine. But we also encourage through many activities like uh, circuit climbs with open-ended questions, uh, with many activities for the communication and language. We encourage them to play together, to communicate, uh, uh, to share toys, to have the... And this is the way actually when they recognize interest in each other and they start working together. Yeah, that's interesting. So they start... To yeah, they start recognizing uh, like, oh, the little one has the same interest like me. We both like to do construction. So they both uh, emerge with the same activity. And this is the way, this is the time when they start communicating, sharing experiences. Sometimes they get into conflict, which is also fine because this is the way how they learn. Absolutely. Children need to be exposed in positive experiences, but also in conflicts. So they will learn how to overcome. So we are putting them in both situations equally, just for, for them to understand their feelings, different mm -hmm. feelings and emotions. So, and they, they can obviously overcome. Can, so, I, can I ask you uh, about, about, about that conflict piece? Because I think one of the things that my kids certainly struggled with, and I understand this, is sharing. I mean, if I bought, you know, a brand new iPhone, for example, and someone said to me, well, you know, you need to share that, I wouldn't be delighted. So I think it's quite a difficult concept to explain to children. And I wondered um, what, where you kind of bring that into play, because it is very much part of that nursery experience. Yes, definitely. So uh, this is where our role as a as an educator, as a parent, firstly, and educator comes. That we actually need to give a good uh, model, good friendship skills. Uh, how we do this in a nursery? We usually, if, if child struggles with uh, with uh, expressing feelings, with doesn't want to share, or struggling with feelings in general, we are focusing on doing in constructive way by sharing our own feelings mm. or asking them to label how they feel. So uh, those are two ways how we can uh, how we can make them confidence to talk about that and overcoming. For example, um, he feels sad because other child doesn't want to share. And then uh, we usually sit with children and we ask them, did it make you sad when, you when your friends didn't want to play or to share toys with you? And this is when they label, actually, their feelings. Mm -hmm. And this is how they overcome that. So they need to talk about that. They need to recognize the feeling. And also we need to um, share our own. For example, I also feel sad mm -hmm. because of this and that. We just make uh, these situations um normal and common for them that always might be a conflict might be situations when someone won't share the toy or won't play with the, your rules as you wish uh, but there are always um, a way how to overcome uh, to share the feelings February is International Friendship Month and we're having a look at those preschool years where in nursery, children are learning for the first time how to share, how to, if not resolve conflict, but certainly be exposed to it, how to start building little friendships that, you know, they might last a minute, they might last for years. And on hand to help us from Altamimi Investment Education is Tanya Spesovic. She is here on hand to help with my questions and most importantly yours and lots of you getting in touch on 4001 with some some queries. Um, I, I wanted to, I guess, have a bit of a rant 
Tanya, if that's okay, about something that really bothers me. Um, And it's this concept of having a best friend. And I feel like I think a lot of us ask this a lot of our children. Who's your best friend? And I've heard my I heard my in-laws and my parents say it to my kids over Christmas. So who's your and it really gets to me because we live in such a transient city. And I understand having close friendships are really, really important to kids. You know, it's it's incredibly valuable. But we had an incident at a birthday party a few years ago where the party organiser asked a group, a group of kids, you know, who's who do you think is the birthday girl's best friend? And a whole room full of kids put their hands up and said, me, 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 only for the birthday girl to be put on the spot and said, no, my best friend is so-and-so. And a part of me died inside. And I wondered yeah. what, what your thoughts are as an educator when it comes to, I guess, stop putting the pressure on that kind of so-called dynamic. What's your take or am I completely off the mark? No, I, I, I think actually you are on the good direction on the topic uh, because uh, of, I don't think there should be a, like huge pressure on, on, on that, on the best friends. Like we should have many friends yes. and what this is how we should encourage little ones that we have many friends in the classroom. It's, it's, it's okay. It's nice to play with one or two friends if you like so, but we need to have many children involved and mm. many ch- all of, of the children in the classrooms are our friends. So this is how we are modeling uh, this in the classroom. So we don't have favorite child. We don't have favorite friends. We are all friends and we give equal opportunity to everyone to talk, to play, to um, express the feelings. Uh, so um, I understand that because it's happening very often actually that uh, mostly with the girls I would say. Yes, I would agree. Um, they like to choose their, yeah, uh, they like to choose best friends and they uh, sometimes they're being a bit uh, like it could become quite exclusive like, and, you know, and it becomes quite, yeah. quite cliquey, which is actually one of the messages yes. we've had, Tanya. Um, a message here, this is from B saying, keen to get your advice. Our daughter is four, started school in September and is becoming home upset. One of the girls in the class who she was at nursery with is very dominant and doesn't allow her to play or talk to other children. She also talks over her, um, is vocal about excluding her from play dates. I get that at this age, friendships are fickle. Um, the teacher is aware of the dynamics and is doing everything to nurture other friendships within the class. But our daughter starts saying she doesn't want to go to school. Do I just leave it for the teacher to sort it out? Um, and, or should I organise some play dates with other children from her class? It's so, it's so, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when your kids are having struggles like this. What would you advise? Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, our role as a parent first needs to come up here in in situations like that. And uh, obviously with cooperation with educators, with nursery teacher would be just much better. But we need to communicate with our child very often. There are um, many children, they want to play with you. there is not only one friend that you have. There are many who are inviting you for activities. I would say yes, or organizing uh, play dates, uh, taking child to many like social places uh, where the interaction is like high, mm-hmm. uh, more than nursery, obviously. So it's a good. Um, it's it's it, it's a good solution for that. Uh, also, teachers should do everything possible um, to to engage child in. Uh, wider groups, uh, not only the small groups, and then uh, um, ask her to be engaged more, for example, uh, during the circle time, during story times activity, always ask her for, for opinion, uh, um, 
encourage her to talk more so she will she will build back this mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. if if anyone over talking her mm-hmm. so she needs to be asked first she needs to be encouraged to talk and to share her opinion always just for her to feel safe mm-hmm. in that environment and to feel safe in that belongings to have uh, such a strong self esteem so she could this is absolutely normal children will always be doing that they were over talking they don't do this in a purpose but because they are not completely emotionally developed of course so they will always be doing that but our role here is to help them understand their feelings like that and there we need to show them that um we we need to work together on that this is not something we just accept as it is mm-hmm. and those ch- those things are changing so i have a child 5 years old and she's usually going through the same um we always talk with her as an adult and trying to explain her that it's absolutely normal she needs to accept if anyone thinks differently than her and she can play with other children uh, i take her to the places where she can express herself more um, not only the nursery but different play dates different different and just, and for example t- taking the pressure off because that, that's like you're saying about you know not having one best friend you know having friends so some might be from school or nursery some might be from you know your neighborhood some might be from an activity and i think that's really important as you're saying making sure she feels like has a she has a platform and has that confidence but yeah organize and play dates tani we run out of time we haven't run out of questions i think we really touched yeah. on something when it comes to friends um friendships and children so thank you so much for your time uh joining us there from Altamir Meet Investments Education but we will absolutely revisit this as a topic cuz i think it's absolutely first of all fascinating but also so so crucial for us as parents for our children to be happy healthy socially adjusted <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out, and you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye one o three point eight Monday to Friday between two and five pm. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye one o three point eight podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye one o three eight dot com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.